You're listening to the Bible Brush Up podcast. We are currently in a series called The Summer of Psalms, and as summer is starting to wane, so is the reading plan, as we are now into the final third of our Psalms reading. Today, I'd like to take a look at how we interpret Psalms, because so often with any Old Testament passage, any Old Testament book, or any Old Testament genre, we often find a disconnect between what we would expect to hear and apply and interpret for a New Testament Christian and what the text actually says. And this is very frequent in the uh, genre of poetry. As we look at the Psalms of the Old Testament, it makes many expressions that, frankly, as New Testament believers, we can't relate to directly. And so what do we do with passages like that? What do we do uh, with agricultural uh, commands. What do we do with commands that are militant? Uh, what do we do with um, poems that are all about Zion, in which we really have no direct relationship to as people of the New Covenant? Obviously, in the Old Covenant, uh, they had a very direct relationship with Zion. Obviously, in the Old Covenant, there were blessings for agricultural uh, fruitfulness if they were obedient to the commands of the Lord. Obviously, in the Old Covenant, they were to drive out the people from the land, and so to use military means and to use aggression, physical aggression, was all within the covenant uh, commands of God. It was actually being obedient to take out your sword and to drive someone out of the land. Um, but we don't have such commands for the new covenant, nor are we in a particular geopolitical boundary where we would drive anyone out. So what do we do with psalms that express that? Is that just simply history for us so that we can have um, a history lesson and then use that to bolster up the changes that come when the New Testament arrives? Or can we actually read the psalms and glean from it? And I would argue that, yes, we can take away from the Psalms and we can apply um, principles to our life now. Um, however, we do have to read it through the lens of the New Testament. Uh, to do otherwise would lead us into error and cause us to seek blessings from God that aren't available to us as New Testament Christians. Um, so many of the prosperity gospel claims are rooted in an Old Testament passage that has not been interpreted through the lens of the New Testament. And so they will tell you if you go and read these Psalms that say that if you honor the Lord and you obey the Lord and you uh, trust in him, then he will make you prosper. He will give you an abundance of wealth and so on and so forth. And while that was certainly true under the Old Covenant, um, the covenant for Israel in the promised land as they honored God and they trusted in him as a theocracy, we don't have those promises to lean on today. That's not what God promises us as believers. However, there are principles that we can uh, decipher and uh, take away from the reading of the Old Testament. So I encourage Old Testament reading. I encourage us to hold these psalms dear because they are very beneficial for us as New Testament believers. Uh, but I think there are certain things we need to do and we need to understand as we read through the book of Psalms. And so the first thing, we're going to look for timeless principles. There are some things that are said in the psalms and in the Old Testament in general that have no bearing on particular covenants. It's not conditional upon which covenant you are 
under. So whether you're under the old covenant or whether you're under the new covenant, these principles remain the same and unchanged. Uh, so just to be clear, there are some promises and some statements made in the Psalms that are directly linked to the covenant promises to Israel. But there are some promises and statements that are timeless and are generic for all of creation. And those are the ones that we need to look for first and foremost because they directly apply to us and they directly inform us about um, maybe some of the attributes of God, uh, how God is towards uh, his creation. And uh, so those are things we look for. And just some examples of that, there are many places where the Psalms make a strong distinction between how mighty and sovereign God is and how frail and finite his created beings are. Uh, we see these contrasts throughout the, the Psalter, uh, all the way from the beginning of the book to this final third, we continue to see a distinction between people like David who are writing the psalm and they express how great and lofty and how almighty God is, but yet how uh, insecure and frail and weak and pitiful at times and sinful at times humanity can be. And so that's a distinction that's made uh, between the writer's uh, and God, and it is universal. That applies to all of us. As we compare ourselves to God, we need to understand that he is greater. He is wiser. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He's uh, omnipresent. He's all places at all times, whereas we are finite and uh, limited to the spatial locations that we currently uh, inhabit. And if we move to another place, then we've left the place we were at, and therefore we lose that proximity to where we previously were. Um, but God is not like that. He is all places at all times. And so these are just some distinctions made in the psalm between God and his creation. And that creator-creation distinction needs to be remembered at all times. We need to remember that God is superior. We need to remember that God is uh, completely above us when it comes to uh, logic and decision-making and what is best for humanity. Even when we think we've got it figured out, if God's word says otherwise, we need to trust in him because his ways are higher than our ways. That is something that the Psalms have made extremely clear. Um, we could probably look at many other uh timeless principles as well, and some of those will pop up in some of the other things I have to say, but now we'll move on and give another sort of uh, key to interpreting the Psalms, and another thing we need to do is to look for correlating circumstances, because not all of the circumstances of the psalmists are going to be our circumstances, and sometimes, as I've already mentioned, they are far different than their circumstances. Even the covenant within which they are operating is different than the covenant within which we approach God. And so what do we do with those differing circumstances? Um, for instance, Psalm 101 verse 8 says this, Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. What do I do with that? How does that apply to me? Am I supposed to wake up every morning and go kill people? Uh, every morning do I need to wake up and drive people out of 
uh, Plattsmouth, Nebraska. Is that my duty and calling in life? Uh, certainly not. No Christian would suggest that that's something that we are supposed to do. Uh, we are not called to take up the sword. However, how could we correlate our own calling and what Scripture has revealed to us in the New Testament uh, to this particular passage? The Bible does say that we are in battle. The Bible does say that day by day we need to renew our minds uh, against the enemy and the way of thinking that the enemy uh, would have us to think and the behavior that the enemy would have us to fall into, these patterns of sinfulness and destruction to ourselves and to others. Yet these are things that we have to day by day battle and fight. Paul tells us it's not flesh and blood that we are fighting any longer. And so we don't take up our sword morning by morning and drive people out of the land. We take up our uh, sword, the Bible, morning by morning, and we drive out the demonic forces and the sinful temptations and the, anything else that would hinder us from doing the will of the Lord, and we drive that out of our proximity. And that's a way that I say, see that we could apply this to our lives. So it's the same concept, except we have a shift in who the enemy is. For the Old Covenant, of course the enemy was still Satan, but it was a particular set of circumstances that their... Um, power and energy and resources needed to be used to drive out a physical group of people, whereas ours is not aimed at a physical group of people. It's aimed at these spiritual foes. And so we find that correlating value, and we apply the principle to our circumstances. So there's a, a, a tiny shift, but the principle remains the same, is that we drive out the enemy. Um, and so that, that's one example. Another example could be in the next chapter, chapter 102 of Psalms, verse 16. Uh, he says something to this effect, For the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory. Uh, and there are other mentions of Zion. Um, verse 13 says, You will arise and have pity on Zion. And there's so much discussion about Zion, but we don't live in Jerusalem, and we're not looking at a, a, you know, a temple sacrifice for the day. We don't need to go into Zion, uh, into Jerusalem to approach the temple in order to observe Passover or any of these old covenant festivals and ceremonies that they were required to attend. And that makes a big difference between us and them. So when we read these Psalms that are focused on the building up of Zion and defending Zion and honoring Zion, what do we do with those? And I would say, well, we need to look at the correlating value to the New Testament. And Paul makes it very clear that the people of God have become the temple of God. And so when we read these passages that talk about Zion, uh, in a sense, you can look at how they correlate to the church today. And so the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. Well, he's building up his church. In fact, he's given us gifts and talents for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. And he is glorified as we build up the body in Christ. Um, and he may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise. Well, now he declares in the people of God the name of the Lord. We have been given 
his name. It has been written down for us. Um, we are his priests. We are his kingdom of priests. And it's not in Jerusalem specifically. It's in all the world because the name of the Lord is being exalted in the nations as the word of God goes forward through his people. Uh, and so this is just a way that we can take the principles that are being applied to the specific circumstances of the writers of the Psalms and apply them in a New Testament and New Covenant context. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there for examples, but you kind of get the point that you take the correlating value of what's being talked about, and you take the timeless principle and truth out of it and apply it to our own circumstances. That might take a little uh, work, and maybe you need to practice that a little, maybe come get some clarification. Hey, did I do that right? I'd be uh, glad to talk to anybody about that in person if uh, you want, because we don't want to apply the value wrong. Uh, sometimes we can do that as well. Um, but I think if you look at what the New Testament says and some of the things that become the substitute in the New Testament for Old Testament um, circumstances and aspects, that becomes fairly easy as you begin to practice that and read through the Psalms. The last thing I'll say is as you read through the Psalms, you want to look through for repetition. There are some uh, ideas that pop up again and again and again, and I think those are ideas that we can often take and we need to try to apply to our lives as New Testament believers just because of how important they are uh, in the Old Testament. And one of those that I continue to see uh, countless times in the Psalter is the idea of God's steadfast love. God is a loving God. Interestingly enough, most people view the Old Testament as depicting a wrathful God who has no love, but as you read through the Psalms, you'll find that God is full of love, and he repeats his love to people uh, in a multitude of ways and in varying expressions and repetitively. And so that's something I take out of the Psalms, is that God is a loving God. A steadfast love is the type of love that he has. It's not weak, it's not wimpy, it's not wavering, uh, but it is there and it is like a rock that we can lean on and build upon. Uh, another thing I see repeated in the Psalter is that God is slow to anger. Uh, so once again, it flies in the face of the stereotype of the Old Testament God, that he is a God of wrath and that you make a mistake and boom, he's upon you like uh, a lion on a pork chop. But no, that's not the picture we get from the Psalter. Uh, yeah, God hates sin. Yes, God is wrathful and just when it comes to dealing with sin, but he's actually quite slow to anger and he is patient with us as we work through um, our sinfulness, and especially uh, when we turn to him and we lean on him. And yes, though we uh, may continue to fail, he continues to be loving and merciful, and he continues to lead us to righteousness. Will he discipline us to help us along the way to become more righteous and holy? Absolutely. Uh, but it's all out of love, and it's all out of compassion and his slowness to anger. Um, another thing, we see the finite nature of man repeated continuously, and we see the eternality of God. These are repetitive themes that continue to pop up in the text of the Psalms. And so this and many others, any, anything else that you see that shows up again and again and again and again, uh, reminds us that it's of great importance to those uh, who are using these 
poetic expressions for their worship, both personally and corporately. And so we take that and we apply that to our lives today, because if it was important back then, it's probably important today. We're going to stop there and pick up next time on the Bible Brush Up Podcast.